0: bridge if this is your first time i know i've met a few of our new friends this week and that's awesome Uh, we are going through the book of acts by that cool bumper uh, behind us and uh, we are going to be in acts chapter 2 acts chapter 2 this is a pretty significant moment um, in the history of the world for one uh, especially in the bible so acts chapter 2 really is As we start this, I wanna give us a a 30,000 foot view of of kind of the timeline of the Bible. I'm not gonna go through all of it. We'll do that another day uh, for the sake of time. But if you look back to the beginning of time in Genesis, when God created mankind and created the rest of the world, God gives man a quest. God gives mankind a, a purpose for this world. Knowing God has a purpose for this earth, and mankind has a very specific quest in it. So look here up um, on the screen, Genesis chapter 1. This is what this is what we have recorded. He says, so God created man in his own image. And you've heard that before. We are created in the image of God. The imago Dei is what it's known as. Uh, we are created in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, being Adam. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, you want to know, here's our quest right here, this is the goal, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God creates the heavens, he creates the earth, and he creates man in his own image. And we need to understand what that means to be created in the image of God, because that's a big deal for us even today. When we're created in the image of God, it means we're his representatives. If I were to take a picture of all of you wonderful, smiley people, and I show it around and say, "This this is the bridge on a Tuesday night. It is not actually you, but it represents you. It is an image of who you are. And so if we are created in the image of God, we are representatives of him in the earth. And so God's goal in creating earth was for his glory, that the whole earth would be filled with his glory. And how would the whole earth be filled with his glory? Through people created in his image, filling the earth. He says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. They fill the earth so that God's image would be all over the world. If you think about it, uh, think about a king or a nation like the The Roman Empire, they would put statues, they would put images of the emperor all across their land. Why? Because they're saying this belongs to Caesar. This is Caesar's land. He rules here, he reigns here. We live under Caesar. And in a similar way, when we are created in God's image as we fill the earth, it is a continual message that God owns the earth that we belong to god he is king of the world he is the sovereign creator of the universe and so we belong to him we are created in his image so we're representatives of his rule and reign on the earth so from the beginning of time the goal was for us to establish god's rule across the earth be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. And we do that, we, we bring glory to God in the way that we live on this earth as God intended, in the way that God ordered things. God designed things with a specific intent and we are, we are best when we do it as God intended it, as God designed it. so Adam and Eve are given this quest to be fruitful, multiply, be my image bearers, bring glory all across the world. How'd they do? They did pretty great until you like turn the page and then they fail, they fail. I mean, we could blame on them, but we're all with them. We would do the exact same thing across the board. Um, We too would fail. And so they rebelled against God and God's design because they didn't want to make, make a name for God across the earth. They wanted to make a name for themselves. Right? They wanted to be like God, knowing good and evil, so they disobeyed. It says, you're not going to be the king. We want to be king. And so they failed. And, and mankind, who was supposed to be in dominion, they were supposed to rule over the earth and subdue it over the, crea- the creation, animals. Snakes, serpents, lions, bears, tigers, oh my, that's not how it goes. But anyways, I was trying in my brain. And, uh, and, and even the fruit of the land that they're to cultivate and do all of these things, this order that God created it, all of a sudden, it's flipped. Where Eve eats an apple that she is, not an apple, a fruit, that she's supposed to, not supposed to. And she's deceived by a serpent. And then she tells her husband what to do. And so all of a sudden, this order that God has created has been completely flipped over. You see that? They've rebelled against God and what he designed the world to be. And in that moment, we are now cursed by God. And all the things that we were called to do are still in place, but it is much more difficult. There is challenge. There are difficulties, there are hurdles that we must jump in in order to do what God has called us to do to fill the earth with his glory. And we are no longer in dominion. We are now slaves to sin. We are now in subjection to sin. We don't do what we want to do. We do what our sinful nature wants to do. We're not reigning anymore as God intended. We're being controlled. Ephesians 2, we have it up here. This is a result of the fall. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. This is talking to believers. So past tense, before all of us were in Christ, before you were saved, this was true of you. If you don't have a relationship with God, if you've not placed your faith in Jesus for salvation, this is true of you now, that you were dead, spiritually speaking, separated from God. You have no life with God. You're dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. You are living in a world that is anti-God, anti-His ways in rebellion to Him. Not making a name for God, but making a name for yourself. Following the prince of the power of the air. This is Satan. He is in control. When he deceived Adam and Eve, he is now fighting against God for control, for worship, for power on this earth. God is completely sovereign, and he can do anything at any time. And yet on this earth, Satan is allowed a bit of power in this moment. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Pretty intense. I'm glad you're here because we've got good news coming. So so we were supposed to fill the earth with God's glory as we lived in worship and submission to him and we fill the earth so that the whole earth would be filled with his glory, that this would be his kingdom and we'd be his people. That was the goal and it's still the goal. But in order for that to happen, there must be a rescue mission, that something has to change. God must intervene and God intervenes how? By sending his son to live a perfect life. The king is here. You hear this when Jesus shows up, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does he mean? He says, the king is here. Jesus is here. The rightful ruler of the earth is here. Turn from your ways. And believe in me there's this turning there's this shifting and jesus secures for us life with god relationship with god that we who were formerly dead in our sin slaves to sin through christ can have life he purchases our freedom from sin that's massive a massive massive moment So we have the crucifixion of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the wrath of God is poured out on him and all those who would believe in Jesus that place their faith in him can have life from the dead. Now I share all of that because here in Acts 2 at Pentecost, we are 50 days, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. This is still fresh. This has just happened. And so we got to know What happens now? Now that the work of Jesus on the cross is finished, what happens now? Where are we going? What is is God going to do? And what I want you to see as we jump in to this part where we call Pentecost, the goal of God is the same, that the earth would be filled with his glory as, as people would fill the earth. But God's method changes all throughout history. There's different times that God deals and walks and leads his people all throughout history. You know this. You've walked through this. Uh, we, we have governments. We have prophets where the, God would lead the people of Israel. We have the nation of Israel themselves that were really a priestly nation that were intercessors between God and man, that they were an example to the entire world of what life with God should look like. We have prophets. We have kings. We have the law. That the law was this designed thing for people to know this is what God requires. This is what God, his standard is like. But now, right here in this moment, there is going to be a shift. A massive shift in God's method to fill the earth. And it's going to come through the church. It's going to come through the church. This is the birth of the church word is ekklesia, that's what it is in the Greek. Ek means out of. Kaleo is the root word, ekklesia, it means to call. Those of the church are the called out ones. If you are a believer, you have been called out of darkness. You have been called out of death. You have been called out of rebellion from God to live for God. You're called out, you're created new. And so we as the church, we are the called out ones of God to live for him, not for ourselves any longer. Acts 2.1, let's look at this change. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Remember the recap here that we talked about. There's 120 of them. They're praying. They had just replaced Judas. And Jesus says, hey, you wait here in Jerusalem until the promise of the Holy Spirit comes. It says, you're going to be baptized in the spirit. This is the salvation moment. And then once the spirit comes, you're going to go out to the ends of the earth. Does that remind you of anything? To the ends of the earth? He says, you're going to start in Jerusalem, then you're going to go to Judea, and then you're going to go to Samaria, the northern people that we don't really like. Yeah, they can be saved too. And then you're going to go to the remotest parts of the earth. This is the same as Genesis. Fill the earth with God's image. But his method is changing. It's now the church. And so this Pentecost moment comes up. Pente means 50. Pente means 50 because it has been 50 days, 50 days since this Passover moment. Now, if you, if you know anything about uh, Judaism and the celebrations and the feasts that they have, they're all commemorating things in the past and they're looking forward to something in the future. And so we have Passover First fruits in Pentecost, Passover, firstfruits in Pentecost. Passover is from the time where the Jews were in slavery in Egypt. They were, they were enslaved by Egypt. They were crying out to God to deliver them. And so God is going to deliver his people, pull them out of slavery and bring them to the promised land seem a little bit familiar, right? Some things might be queuing off to you, bring them out of the promised land, and and God sends plagues, all these different things, just punishing the people of Egypt, getting them to let his people, God's people, go. And there's one of those, uh, which is where we get Passover from, uh, that God would send an angel of destruction uh, to kill the firstborn of the people of Egypt, which is really intense, but the people of Egypt were really evil, and so they deserved punishment. But, in order to not get the angel of destruction, the wrath of God poured out on you. What they had to do, all of the people of Israel, uh, they sacrificed a lamb in worship of God. And they took the blood of that lamb and they put it on their door frames. That's a pretty weird thing to do, right? If you're looking around like, what are these people doing? They're putting blood on their doorframe. But here's this incredible moment in the night. This angel is going by. And every door, every house that was covered by the blood of this lamb was passed over. They were not punished. The wrath of God was not poured out on them. It was passed over. And so to this day, the people of Israel would celebrate Passover, the day that God passed over them because they were covered by the blood of the sacrifice. Fast forward centuries, Jesus, the lamb of God, dies is crucified on the day of passover literally the day that they are celebrating passover is the day that jesus is crucified what does that mean It says jesus is the sacrifice so that all those who are in jesus are passed over by the wrath of god we are not punished for the sin that we have committed for the wrath of god that we deserve why because of the sacrifice of jesus we are passed over so that's feast number one. Feast number two, first fruits. Uh, this happens on the first of that week. So Jesus uh, is crucified on Friday. On Friday, Friday, uh, on Friday, and then on Sunday, He is resurrected, and that is the day that they celebrate the feast of first fruits like, what is the Feast of First Fruits? It's coming at the beginning of their harvest. Uh, you probably know this if you have any plants or fruits or whatever in your life. Uh, they would have a big harvest of barley and wheat uh, that is gonna come up in just a few days. But before that, there are some of them that would they would mature a little bit faster than everything else. So these farmers, they would go throughout the sections of their farm and they would find ones that ripen or mature earlier than all the other ones. And they take those and they kind of examine them to see if they're going to have a good harvest here in a couple of weeks. And so they take those first fruits that, that ripen early and they celebrate and they, they sacrifice and they, they give those, offer those up to God as thanks for what he's going to do in the future. So God is bringing another harvest, which is an act of faith even itself to celebrate with that stuff. Because if you're worried about how much food you're going to have, you probably wouldn't just get rid of it and offer it up, right? You would eat it. But not with these people. They're trusting God with what he's going to do. And so they see this uh, moment, like these things pop up first, and they look at it and they celebrate because this is going to be a good harvest. Like, okay, well, so what does that have to do? Jesus rose on the first fruits the day that they celebrate this feast, that Jesus was the first to rise from the dead. And there is a harvest coming after him called the church, of which millions upon millions in the history of the world would rise from the dead with him, not physically, but spiritually. Then we have Pentecost which happens 50 days after this. This is the beginning of the harvest season where the people of Israel, they celebrate and then they start to gather in all of the harvest, all of this wheat. So we have Jesus' crucifixion on the Passover. We have Jesus' resurrection on the first fruits. And then Pentecost, 50 days later, Jesus is gone. What's about to happen? The coming of the Holy Spirit and the beginning of the church, the harvest of God, is beginning see this is really cool I don't know if you like stuff like that I love stuff like that but but God had planned that from the beginning Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these things this is the beginning of the church that God is going to bring people to himself like a massive harvest which is part of who we are the people of God I hope you don't feel weird about being harvested (laughs) Uh, it's not weird it's cool And so that's the Pentecost. That is what's happening right here. And so this is an exact moment that is planned by God for a very specific purpose. And he's got all the flashing lights. He's got all of these incredible things that are happening here. Read with me, starting in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, this is the actual day, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven, and when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, in Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement, in great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking and said, they are full of sweet wine. <laughs> so they're drunk. And so this is this great question. They're amazed at what's happening. There's this extremely supernatural moment, this experience that is, it's just phenomenal. And everyone's saying, what is going on? What does this mean? What is, what is happening? And so that's the question that we're here to answer. What is happening? What is God doing in this moment? Well, first This is signifying the birth of the church. This is the birth of the church right here. These apostles beginning right here. All of these people are drawn together and saying, what's going on? And they are talking about the mighty deeds of God. But here, verse 2, this is where it starts. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. Most of the time you hear this Taught or you read this, you think there was a mighty rushing wind that goes through this room that they're in, and everyone's like getting blown around by the wind. No, that's not what's happening. It sounds like a mighty rushing wind. They hear, it's like a tornado is going through all these things, and like, wow, this is insane. And you also think there's like visible fire there, like their heads are on fire or something weird. Uh, they have tongues as of fire, but there's this sight. That is going on, where they would see this fire, and so wind and fire, these things that are happening now. If you were to read in other parts of the scripture, you would see those are things that God uses all the time to to demonstrate Himself. The word wind, often is word pneuma. It's not the one here, but it's it's pneuma. Uh, it means wind and spirit. Wind and spirit, the spirit of the God of, of God, and wind in the beginning at. Uh, when god was creating adam it was from the dust and then god breathed on adam it's the same word that we use for spirit that god breathed life into adam in that moment god breathes god speaks and there is life and right here we have wind that is coming in it is the spirit of god that is rushing into these people there is now spiritual life here Here's something cool about wind, we don't see wind, but we see the effects of it everywhere. We don't see wind, but we see the trees going as so we know wind's there. We hear wind, we don't see it. Maybe we see dust particles that are in it, we don't see it. And yet we see the effects of it everywhere we go. In the same way, we don't see the spirit of God. It's not like just some orb floating over us and we're like, well, that person's a Christian. Like, no, I wish, it'd be kind of cool, it'd be a lot of clarity. But we see the effects of the spirit in somebody, right? And so for these guys, there's this immediate confirmation that this is what Jesus was talking about, right? Because they're like, oh, is this it? Is this happening, right? And they might hear some weird noise downstairs as they're like hanging out and they're like, oh, is this, is, is this it? Like, no, 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 this is a pretty intense moment. So they know without a doubt, this is the spirit of God. It's happening. The second one is fire. God in the burning bush, he presents himself as fire. It's two qualities of fire. One, fire can purify. Fire can also destroy. God is like that. He can purify mankind by his grace and clean them from, from their sin their brokenness to make them right and to make them whole. But God can also judge mankind and, and destroy mankind for their sin, just like fire. So right here, God is showing up in the wind and in the fire in the coming of the spirit and it filled the whole house where they were sitting and there appeared to them these tongues as of fire distributing themselves and they rested on each one of them verse 4 and they were all filled with the holy spirit and to speak, be, began to speak with other tongues as the spirit was giving them utterance now there's two things in, in regards to the spirit that are happening here. One, you just saw they were filled with the spirit. And we're about to go crazy, not crazy, but like we're about to dive into this, some stuff. So just try and hold with me as best as you can. If you have questions afterwards, I'd love to have this conversation. But there's two things that happen in this moment. One, there's a, a baptism of the spirit. Jesus promised this, Acts 1.5, you can look at that. Um, baptism of the spirit is, is like another term for salvation, It's another term for salvation. If you look up here, Romans 6, 1 through 4. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. Now, you might be thinking of of like a water baptism. Maybe some of you have been baptized, and that's awesome. Water baptism signifies what happens internally, the baptism of the spirit. This is what he's talking about, the baptism of the spirit. We have been spiritually buried with Jesus into his death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the father, so we too may walk in newness of life. So when we're baptized in the spirit, we are united with Jesus in his death and in his resurrection. So when God looks at us, he sees us through what Jesus has done. We are united with him. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, Certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. This is a crazy thing. This is a crazy thing. You're like, no, I wasn't crucified with Jesus, not physically. But when your faith is in Jesus, when you believe in him, when you repent from these things and put your trust in him, God sees as though you were there with him that your sin died with Jesus, that you died to your sin in that moment. It's supernatural, it's incredible, it's the power of God. So that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with. So that we would no longer be slaves to sin for the one who has died is free from sin. This is a big big moment for us that we need to understand what it means when we are baptized in the spirit this is our salvation moment so one we are no longer dead in our sin that was previously true right Ephesians 2 we were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked we were dead in sin but for those of us that have trusted in Christ we are now dead to sin sin no longer has power over us Dead in sin, dead to sin. There is a change there. Number two, we are now united with Christ. We're united with him. So when God looks at us, he sees us through the sacrifice of Jesus. We have been justified. We have been made right before God. We are not seen as guilty. We're seen as righteous. Not as anything we have done, but what Jesus has done for us. And number three, we are also united with the body of Christ. We all have the same spirit of God dwelling in us. And so once we are saved, that spirit dwells in us. And while we are together as the body of believers. I know these are big things. And if you're new with us, if you've got questions, please come find me afterwards. I love to walk through this. But what you need to know is is that the baptism of the spirit is this salvation moment where we were dead and now we've been made alive. And that's why, we, that's why we get baptized. If you have not been baptized, we have classes here. I will show up. I will, we'll celebrate. We'll clap. We'll cheer. We'll do all of these things. Baptism in water doesn't save you. It is an outward symbol, an outward expression that says, this is what's happened inside of me. And if I get to baptize you, I'll say, you were buried in the likeness of his death and raised to walk in newness of life. That's what happens, that's why we do these baptisms. It's an outward expression of this just happened inside. You're dead and now you're made alive. So that's the first part of what happens here in this moment. There's the baptism of the spirit where these guys already saved, yes, but there's a new way in which God is working in the church. It's through his spirit now. The second part is the filling of the spirit. Now, the baptism of the Spirit, that happens to all people upon salvation, okay? All people that are saved have the baptism of the Spirit. Now, the filling of the Spirit is not the same thing. That is a momentary thing that happens all throughout our lives uh, in, in certain moments. And maybe the best way to explain what it means to be filled by the Spirit, have um, if if any of you ever been filled with rage? Probably, yeah. Uh, If you've been filled with rage, it doesn't mean like you have this like physical meter inside of you that just like look, 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 and then you're like filled with rage. It's saying you're being controlled and influenced by this feeling of anger inside of you. And when you are filled with rage, you're being controlled by it. You're being influenced by rage. And so you punch things and you throw chairs and you yell at people, right? Because you're filled with rage. It's not this like weird mystical thing where you have this bar it's saying you're being controlled and influenced by it. Ephesians five eighteen, 18, uh, Paul says, do not get drunk with wine. It's like, don't be filled with wine because if you are filled with wine, you are going to be influenced and controlled by that wine, by your drunkenness. And he says, but rather be filled with the spirit. So he's comparing these, he says don't get controlled by wine where you're out of control but be filled and controlled by the Spirit. So for us in the filling of the Spirit, this all comes down to our surrender to the Spirit of God that is in us. It is yielding moment by moment to what God seeks to do through us. I don't know if you've ever just had those moments where you're like, man, I should probably say something. I should probably share. Like there's little prompts, you know, like there's little prompts that just happen inside of us. Man, I should share. I should speak up. I should ask them about this. I should share this verse. I should pray for them right now. These are those moments and he's saying, hey, would you be filled by the spirit? Would you be controlled and influenced by the work of the spirit that's in you? These are, these are momentary opportunities that we have uh, opportunity to be used by God for ministry. And these happen all throughout our our lives. It's really a present thing that we would seek to be filled by the spirit. Now, why am I making such a big deal about this? There are movements that come from Pentecost and their understanding of Pentecost. um, and, And these people speak in tongues and they will tell you if you are not baptized in the spirit, or if you aren't speaking in tongues, you're not saved. So if you don't speak in tongues, you are not saved. Because what they do, they take the baptism of the Spirit and this unique experience that the apostles have of speaking in tongues and they put them together. And they say, speaking in tongues is an evidence that you are saved. This is a real thing. I was in college and I met some guy in Dallas. Me and my friends were there, and, and he was of the Pentecostal movement, Pentecost. And, um, and, and we had a great conversation and, and we were walking through all of these different things and, and we were sharing testimonies. And he said, so uh, do you speak in tongues or have you spoken in tongues? Have you been baptized with the Spirit? And I said, that, those aren't the same things. That's a different question. He said, I said, baptism with the Spirit is salvation. And he says, no, baptism with the Spirit. Oh, he said, yeah, it's salvation, but it comes with speaking in tongues. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, if you're not speaking in tongues, then you're not saved. That's not what it is. And and so there's a big thing here that we need to differentiate in this moment, right? Because if if all of you are in here and, and you're thinking to yourself, well, I haven't had this extraordinary experience whether it's speaking in tongues or maybe you in your life, you have doubted your salvation for a really long time because you just haven't had like this inner feeling where you just exploded and you started crying and and you were just like worshiping like crazy and you know, just weep. You You didn't have this ecstatic experience. And you're nervous because you look at something like Acts 2 and you're like, am I saved? Because you don't feel different. You didn't have this miraculous experience and that's a dangerous thing to equate what happens in acts two and say this should happen to all of us one of the things that's big about acts is we would say acts is descriptive not prescriptive acts is describing what happened in this unique day it is not prescribing what our experience should be today now are there things we can pull from the acts absolutely we're going to do that but we shouldn't say without a shadow of a doubt that this should be our experience. And if it's not, we're not saved. I hope you're tracking with that. Again, we can have conversations on that because it's a big, big thing in us. But in verse four, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. So what's happening here is all of these Galileans are starting to speak in other languages. And I read that list. I don't really want to read it again, but you see it in verse 9 because there's big words, and I don't know how if, I'm, if I'm pronouncing all of them right. Uh, but there's 15 different countries all kind of in that region that are represented there. And they are all there in Jerusalem, potentially for the, for the Feast of Pentecost, maybe some of them that were living there. You see Jews that were there, uh, but you see other devout men as well uh, that were uh, from every nation under heaven. And all of these have different local dialects, and, and many of them would probably speak uh, Greek or, or a local language that was common across the board. But in this moment, all of them were hearing uh, the mighty deeds of God spoken in their own language. In their own language. Now, here's another thing that's big. Maybe your thought about what speaking in tongues is is a private prayer language that no one can understand but you and God, and it's just kind of this moment that you have together, because that is another belief in the world today. But in the scriptures, this word glossolalia in the Greek, it's talking about known languages. These are known languages, and Paul talks about this, that the speaking in tongues is used by God for unbelievers to hear about the works of God, about the good deeds of what God has done. And so this speaking of tongues is like evangelism. I mean, it'd be incredible for you, right? It'd be a miraculous moment if you were to go to to Spain um, and, and you have no knowledge of Spanish or whatever, but in a miraculous moment, God just started to speak through you and you're communicating in Spanish to somebody the gospel. Like that's incredible, right? That's a work of God and that's what's happening here. They're speaking in these other languages to all these other people, the works of God from 15 different countries. So that's a known language that's going on there, and it's for the purpose of sharing the gospel, sharing the good news with unbelievers. So again, if you find yourself in a place where uh, people are just in, in a worship setting and they're just spouting gibberish off in some worship filled setting, that's not what the Bible has in mind. That's not a biblical idea that's taking the Bible and over time trying to chase an experience and making it something else that isn't what the scriptures have in mind. Now, I know some of you may have backgrounds that I've I've talked on and and I've touched on and I wanna be sensitive to that, Uh, But I also care and I want to be honest about what the scripture is saying here because it's dangerous for us to take Acts 2 and start applying it into our lives and trying to expect this experience to happen because that's dangerous. So I want to be clear with what the scriptures say here. Now, here's something else that's really cool about this you know genesis and you've read through genesis there's a moment genesis 11 it's called the tower of babel tower of babel Uh, remember the mandate that god gives his people is to fill the earth so they are not supposed to just stick all together they are supposed to go all throughout the earth as image bearers of god uh, so that the whole world would know of god and live in worship of him But in the Tower of Babel, we're not going to jump over there, but Genesis 11 talks about this. They all come together, and they build this tower up into heaven uh, so that they would be like God. They were trying to make a name for themselves, that they would be these people that are like the gate of God. They didn't want to honor God and make a name for him. They wanted to make a name for themselves. So God, in judgment, sees these people. He comes down to their tower, and in punishment, he scatters them all across the earth and he confuses confuses their language. So they're all of a sudden speaking all of these different languages because he says there is no limit to the evil that they would do if he does not scatter them. If you think about that, if you were a teacher and you had two troublemakers in the back of their class and they keep causing trouble and disrupting everybody, what are you going to do? You're going to split them up. So this is what God does. He splits all these people up so they're not causing any more trouble, and he's disrupting all of these things, and it becomes this this world that we know today, right? But God's goal to fill the earth is the same. And so right here in Acts 2, the beginning of the church, we get a glimpse of what heaven is going to be like. We get a glimpse of what heaven is gonna be like and it's gonna come through the church. These are all these known languages from 15 different places and they're hearing it in their own language. And in this moment, all of these people are coming together under God, unified, hearing in their own native language, the works of God. That's a glimpse of heaven because there will be a day When the earth, all the heavens, everything will be filled with God's people that are living in worship and submission to him. Every tribe, nation, language, and tongue. All worshiping God. And right here in Acts two, we have that moment, a glimpse of it. All different people, all together, worshiping God. And this is what the church is about. This, to apply it to ourselves right now, this is what we are about. We are the church. It's not a building. It's not these four walls. Uh, there's a lot of walls. It's a weird structure here. Uh, but it's not these walls. That's not what makes the church. <laughs> yeah, thank you for counting. Please let me know later what it is, Rain. Uh, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter about this building at all. We are the church. And we are God's means. To fill the earth with his glory. Because there is a world out there, I probably don't have to tell you, that is dominated and enslaved to sin. We read Ephesians 2 earlier, they are living that life. That's that's their experience. Walking in the course of this world, in rebellion against God, not living for him, not making a name for him, but making, making a name for themselves. And so what we are as the church, what we are doing, we are telling others about Jesus in hopes that they would be freed from their sin. This is a rescue mission. This is a rescue mission, and this is a restoration mission. Rescuing people from bondage, from death, from sin, so that they can have a life with God. But this is also a restoration mission. Restoring mankind back to a right relationship with god because god is the rightful ruler of all things and yet man is living in rebellion and the greatest message that we can give them is a message that they should surrender from their ways of rebellion to live in worship and honor of him now here's here's what's big about this this story isn't about us right we love to tell this mission of or this message that like God loves us so much, which he absolutely does, that he sent his son to die for us, which he absolutely did so that we could have life, which is absolutely true. But there's more to the story than just us. Surprise, surprise, man just makes it about themselves, right? Imagine us being man-centered, egocentric. Yeah, that's us. But there's more to it. This world is about God's glory, right? And God filling the earth with his glory. And so much, as much as he is rescuing us, he's making the world right again because he alone is worthy of worship. He alone is worthy of service and praise and honor. And when we live in rebellion against that, it's wrong. It's wrong. And so our goal is to tell people of a savior, but also to tell them of a king and a coming judgment that they would be free from that to walk in life, to have life with the father, to fill the earth with his people. That's what we are as the church. That is what we do. That's where we're going. Now, are we going to have miraculous moments where we speak in tongues and all of these different things? That's a big question. And we'll talk about that as we go on in Acts, but uh, what I would tell you is that this is a very unique moment in the history of the world in the birth of the church and the coming of the holy spirit um and and god all throughout history when when he we we talk about miracles and all these things those pretty much occurred only in four big parts throughout the bible moses and joshua that was the coming of the law god will perform miracles as his stamp of approval that this law is true that moses is the one you should follow Number two, in the prophets, Elijah and Elisha. God performed great miracles through them, again, as a stamp of approval that Elijah and Elisha were prophets of God, that this truly was the word from him. He said, yes, this is my message. Jesus, because he is God in the flesh, and it was validating the message of the gospel. It was validating that he is the Messiah. Number four, the apostles they perform miracles why to validate the message of the new testament that this is of god it isn't false it isn't a lie it's of god it is stamped and approved by god how do we know by the miracles that are performed and so here we are in 2021 and we're like well why aren't there as many miracles today as there are in the bible because this message has been sealed God has delivered his message. He has revealed all that we need to know to have life and have purpose and to know why we exist. The stamp of approval of of miraculous things to happen is not needed in the same way that it was then. But there is still evidence that God is moving, that God is working, and it's the lives of his people, people that were dead in sin and now alive to God. So we don't see the spirit, but we see the evidence of it in people like us. So we must be the light of the world in a dark place that we are in the world, but we don't act like it. We aren't of it, we are different. We are loving and we are kind and we are gracious and we are giving of ourselves. We are bold, we are truthful. The whole world is going this way and we gotta stand for what is right, for ways God designed things to operate as lights in the world because that is evidence that God is still working and God is still moving today. So let me pray for us. Uh, Father, you have called us out of darkness into the kingdom of your dear son, that we who are dead in sin now been made alive with you. So God, would you give us a great boldness to surrender to to the filling of the spirit, what you are seeking to do in us day by day, hour by hour. Would we be faithful uh, to conversations, uh, to have conversations, to step out in, in faith, to love on people, to proclaim the gospel to them, to family, to coworkers, to classmates, inviting them here Lord, I pray that they would see the evidence that you are at work. That they would see a different people here. People that love, that care, that don't try and make a name for themselves, but live for you in your glory. And God, from the beginning of, of time and creation, you made it evident that we are here for you for your story, for your glory. I pray that we would live that out, that we would live in light of that, and we, 2,000 years from the beginning of the church, would continue on to to the ends of the earth, telling of what you have done and who you are. God, we love you and we worship you, because you and you alone We stand as we worship.